0: Welcome to the God in My Closet podcast, where we explore life and light of the love who embraces all of our skeletons. I'm your host, Ben DeLong, author of There's a God in My Closet. Thanks so much for joining us today. Well, hello, everyone. I'm so glad you're here. Um, I'm really excited about this episode. This was a really fun episode to record. Um, I get to interview Keith Giles. And Keith, it was just so fun interviewing him. Um, Keith just seems like one of those guys you could go get a drink with and just be laughing hysterically the whole time. I really enjoyed chatting with him. Um, So we're going to get into talking about one of his books. Sometimes I get so caught up in a conversation that I forget like really basic things. Um, So I, I think I forgot to actually say the whole title of the book that I talked to Keith about today. So the book that we'll be talking about today is called Jesus Undefeated, Condemning the False Doctrine of Eternal Torment. And I believe I forgot to mention that in the actual interview, which that's just what I do. I'm the kind of person that goes on vacation and totally forgets to take pictures. Like I'm just that kind of person. But I wanted to mention that book. Um, It's such a great book. Um, so check that out. And it, this is such an important topic about talking about what um what we believe about hell. And this was really important for me, um, for my journey of learning to um discover God as love and compassion and whose mercy never ends. This is really important for my journey. Um if you listened to my interview with Brad Jerzak, um you got to hear us talk about this topic. Some um I talked about it some with him. Um, and a lot of good stuff there, and then we get to even explore even more avenues of this topic here in this episode and even in my book um there's a god in my closet i one of my sections is completely devoted to this topic because it's so important um well, I'm so glad you are um, listening to this episode because Keith has so much good stuff to offer. Um, we have a lot of fun. we mention I think Patton Oswald and Batman and Monty Python, so we have a lot of fun in the midst of talking about this really important topic. Um, So listen and enjoy this conversation with Keith Giles. Well, hi, everyone. I am so excited to have Keith Giles with me today. Um, Keith has become a friend and and someone whose work I really, really enjoy. Um, He is the author of many books, most notably um, his four books called Jesus and Keith, how do you refer to that series? Is it like the Un-series, or how do you refer to it? Yeah,
1: I I think I call it the Jesus Un-series.
0: Okay. Yeah, so there's four books there, Jesus Untangled, Jesus Unbound, Jesus Unveiled, and your latest, Jesus Undefeated, which is what we'll be talking about today. Um, Keith was also a pastor for a while, and he, as he likes to say, left the pulpit to follow Jesus. Um, he invested much of his life to exploring church outside the bounds of kind of the structure kind of church that a lot of us are used to um, and, and use that um, home church model to really invest a lot of finances into the community. Um, he's also the co-host of the incredible podcast, Heretic Cabby Hour, the jingle for which, by the way, Keith, is like one of my favorite things.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I got to say, it is mine too. I sing it all the time. I think it's my favorite thing. About one of my favorite things about the podcast is that theme song. Barrett Johnson totally nails it. It's
0: beautiful. oh, it's yeah, it's it's awesome. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Keith, for for being on the podcast today.
1: Oh, Ben, thank you so much. I'm I'm uh, excited to have the conversation, and uh, thank you for inviting me to come and talk about this uh, topic. I think it's it's actually a really important one.
0: Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Um, so for anybody who's not, uh, super familiar with you, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about you, uh, um, kind of what makes you, you?
1: Hmm. Wow. Well, th- you know, thank you. Well, you kind of gave a little bit of a uh, background, you know, I think, um, uh, other than, um, what makes me, me, I, well, I think the thing, uh, is that I, um, I've always been someone who I love learning. You know, I was, I was a, uh. I've always read books since since I was a little kid. I read books all the time. I read mm. books, you know. I didn't read books my age. I was I was like in junior high, and I was reading like you know Ian Fleming and mm. <laughs> uh, you know James Bond, and like things that really for more for adults. But uh, I just loved reading, and uh, love science fiction and stuff like that. And um, and then when I got into college, you know, my right my major was creative writing, my minor mm. was philosophy. And I think what I figured out about myself especially when it came to the philosophy stuff I studied um, was I really loved taking difficult concepts, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, and simplifying them for the average person.
2: Mm.
1: It used to drive me crazy. I would read some of these philosophy books, and I'd sometimes read a paragraph like 10 times until I finally figured out what they're trying to say. Yeah. And when I finally figured it out, I was like, well, then why didn't they just say that? <laughs> yeah. You know, like yeah. you could have you could have made it so easy. It's almost like you were trying not to make it easy. And so yeah. I wanted to do the opposite. I'm like, no, no, no. These are good concepts. These are interesting things. Why can't the average person you know what I mean like we we should remove the barriers so that the average person can yeah. have the, have the same conversation have the same process for sure. of, uh, of learning and and considering truth and reality and logic and all these things. So mm-hmm. I think that's sort of at the core what I do it, I think I have a kind of a gift for communication which essentially is I think trying to take um, complex things and make them simple and easily understood.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I remember um when I was in college for ministry and everything yeah it just drove me nuts like why can't we just say what we're trying to say <laughs> Like, why do we have to like beat around the bush <laughs>
1: well and uh, yeah it is after a well, while you i just start to get suspicious that i that the people who are writing that way kind of they want it to be in a code you know what i mean it's almost like they're really yeah trying to, i think they're really trying to impress other people like their peers Yeah. Um, Like, can I say this in such a way that maybe even those people, these guys with multiple doctorates, I can say it in such a way that even they won't know what I'm saying. Like, they'll be confused. Yeah. And uh, then that makes me seem smarter because I'm I'm saying something in this very complex way. But ultimately, Mm. when you boil it down, what what they're saying is not that complex.
0: Yeah. And it it makes me, it reminds me, too, um, there's this little bit that Patton Oswalt does. Mm -hmm. And um, he talks about, he's, he's talking about um, gay marriage and, and gay rights. And, and he's, he's like, you know, you can know the lingo. It doesn't mean you're not an asshole about it. So he, like, <laughs> he, he gave this example of somebody like using all the language, like this fancy language, but they're really just saying, I don't like you guys. Yeah, I love
1: Patton Oswald. He's awesome.
0: Yeah, he is. He's hilarious. So mm. um, yeah, I really wanted to, to talk about your latest book. Um, cause it's a topic that's been really, really important to me for a long time. Um, and so I, I wrote my book, um, called there's a God in my closet and countering the love who embraces our skeletons. And we, we had something in common actually, cause Brad Jerzak wrote the forward for for oh, yeah. books. Yeah. Yes. Um, but for a long time I couldn't enter my, you know, closet, um, face my darkness or really face God. And one of the reasons was that was the way that many Christians talked about hell, mm-hmm. and, and specifically the view of hell um, called eternal conscious torment, where unbelievers are said to be tor- tormented and tortured for all eternity just for not believing the right things. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, do you wanna share some, like what, what has been your kind of personal experience with that doctrine?
1: Yeah, well, um, probably similar to your experience. And I I would venture to guess most um, evangelical Christians in America probably have had this experience where, um, you know, you come, I came into the faith like around nine years old. Uh, That's when I sort of officially became a Christian. I I talked to God before that. Uh,
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) uh, I knew I believed in God and talked to God in my bed, you know, at night before that, but uh, sort of walked the aisle and prayed the prayer around nine years old. And Mm -hmm. anyway, but once you enter the club, you know then you're you're told by people that are, so should know should know these things people you respect the authority figures pastors mm-hmm. and school teachers and even your parents yeah um you're told that well this is how god is and okay well then you're only handed one one option when it comes to a lot of things and one of those things is hell yeah um, and you're taught that the the only that the bible teaches that if you know this this idea that if you die without faith in Christ you will burn in hell forever and that's what the bible says and that's the end of the story and so you grow up believing that now that's not mm-hmm. true they they you know uh, later on i figured it out like oh wait that's that isn't what that isn't the only story or version of that in the bible and not only that yeah. it's historically you know from the beginning of christianity um there have always been disagreements and different different perspectives on this idea of hell yeah um but of course that teaching like kind of with your experience right that yeah. teaching about a god who would burn people forever for not you know believing the right things um or being in the club you yeah. know that that does create sort of this um i think very unhealthy um idea of god it creates it creates a, um an anxiety and a fear like god can god really be trusted is he sort of schizophrenic yeah. because I'm hearing, you know, at the same time that he's got his love and he's the most loving, he's the personification of all love and the, you know, the greatest perfect love in the universe. And yet this perfect loving being could just decide uh, on a whim, really, um, he doesn't like you, uh, you're done and I'm going to roast you in hell forever. So yeah, it's, it's not a very Christ-like view, I don't think of God. I don't think this is the God that we see revealed in Jesus and that should be our first clue.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I remember so vividly, I was in a Christian, Christian beliefs class in college, and the professor brought up like the views of hell, and he brought it up like, I don't wanna say flippantly, but it's just, there wasn't really, you know, any time brought into it that it should have been. And so it was just like, there's eternal conscious torment, there's annihilation, and there's universalism. And then he's just like scratch those last 2 of their heresies.
1: <laughs> yep, and let's move on. Yep,
0: yeah, pretty much. And yeah, and and now I look back and I'm like, wow, that that was not how that needed to be approached.
1: <laughs> yeah, wait, wait to cover, wait to cover the uh, the topics there, buddy. Yeah, yeah. because what? <laughs> well, see, this is what I'm trying to do um, in the book, and even the way I've tried to kind of engage people online about this topic. Hopefully, in leading to uh, you know, wanting them to kind of like check out the book because I just started asking some basic questions, you know, online. Like, hey, did you know that um, there have always been three uh, coexisting views of hell from the beginning of church history? No, most no most Christians don't know that. Um, yeah. Did you know that of those three views, the minority view was eternal torment? No, what? What do you mean? How could yeah. that be? Wait a minute, That's but that's the only Christian view. How could that be the minority view? And, yeah. oh, by the way, did you also know the majority view for about 500 years was universal reconciliation? What? Yeah. You know, and you just you can go down the list. Like, did you know um, that the Old Testament doesn't contain anything, any teaching whatsoever to support the idea of eternal torment? Nowhere. What? What? Yeah. So... <laughs> apparently god's plan from the beginning was to roast people in hell for eternity but he just never brought it up he just didn't think it was worth bringing up (laughs) um and then you know then you can just keep going like where you know did you know that this this uh teaching of eternal torment um kind of crept into uh jewish thought during the intertestamental period this is the time after the their scriptures the hebrew scriptures had all been written Mm -hmm. and the coming of jesus which is when they had influence from egyptian and pagan sources they kind of those so that's where the idea of eternal torment came from it doesn't it didn't come from the prophets didn't come from any quote-unquote divine revelation it came from pagan and egyptian sources so you know again what the more you really just study this topic uh historically and scripturally you start to see well maybe this and this is really what i'm trying to say in the book like Maybe the, of the three views, um, eternal torment is really, I think, the weakest of all three of the views. I don't think it has the scriptural support, and I demonstrate that in the book. And, and I think the origins of the, of the view are also very suspicious. So yeah. I think there's a lot of good reasons for Christians to, first of all, just examine it, study it for yourself. You know, again, read the book, and I, I look at all three views as fairly as I can um, from historical and scriptural perspectives and uh and then examine the the other views that you're not aware of that you know that you haven't studied mm-hmm. and and then you know again make up your own mind but it, you don't have to agree with me at the end but please at least educate yourself and you owe it to yourself to um you know to to understand this topic a little better because it's a big deal i think it yeah. matters it really matters um which of these three views you end up embracing i think it'll have a lot to do with your you really, your connection with God, your idea of who God is, so.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things you really flesh out well in your book, um, like you mentioned, that eternal conscious torment was a minority view, but also um, how prominent what we might call Christian universalism was in the Mm -hmm. early church. Um, So can you flesh out a little bit what, um, what Christian universalism is? Because I know there's a lot of um, misunderstanding. Of what it is and and also how prominent it actually was in the early church
1: <clears throat> yeah absolutely i'll try to i 'll try to do that well, I think one thing I need to correct because this always I think is the for people that haven't studied it when you say universalism or you say uh, universal reconciliation, mm-hmm. um, people just assume that what that means is that nobody goes to hell i've actually heard people say that, oh, so you don't believe there is a hell and mm. and that is the opposite of the patristic universalist view of hell, which is the early church fathers, what they taught and wrote about and believed again mm-hmm. for 500 years. So um, let me correct that misunderstanding. in fact, it's not true. Universalism does, Christian universalism does not believe, does not teach that no one goes to hell. It actually, if you wanna really be, be frank about it, it actually teaches that everyone does. Mm. Uh, and that's, that shocks a lot of people like, whoa, 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 what? So how can it be universalism if everyone goes to, quote-unquote, hell? Well, what, it, what, what the belief is is that um, everyone passes through the fire, both the righteous and the unrighteous. Um, and, this, and again, there's scriptural support for that. Jesus says uh, everyone uh, will be salted with fire. Paul talks about how all of us will pass through the fire. And the purpose of that fire, though, is not to torture us. It's not to destroy us. The purpose of the fire is a testing and a refining and a purification process so everyone mm-hmm. Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, me, you Hitler um, you know Jeffrey Dahmer, everybody passes through the fire but the purpose of the fire again uh, it, which is again something supported all through scripture like we constantly see in scripture that when God uh, disciplines it's for correction it's for it's in the hope that we will turn back to him yeah. It's not its not just punishment for the sake of punishment. It's not, you know, vindictiveness. So that's one thing, um, and I'm just summarizing. I go through and have many scriptures to kind of back up this view. But when yeah. it comes to the historical side of it, um, of universalism, yeah, I mean, some pretty heavyweight uh, early church fathers were universalists, Christian universalists. So Clement of Alexandria, Origen, Gregory of uh, Nazianzus, Gregory of Nyssa. Basil the Great, mm. Theopolis of Antioch, uh, Didymus the Blind, Theodorus of Tarsus, and many, many others. Most people don't know who I'm talking about, but <laughs> take my word for <laughs> it. Lots of them. Yeah. And um, I mean, to the, even to the point where, you know, the council, they, they're one of the early church councils that, that uh, decided on, you know, ended up, finally ended up kind of codifying the doctrine of the Trinity, was presided over by a universalist. Um yeah. and that alone should tell us something right because think imagine that today can you imagine a bunch of Christians today uh like globally saying well, we're going to get a bunch of Christians together we're all going to agree as Christians on something and we're going to we're going to on purpose elect a guy to lead this conversation who is we a well known universalist and we want yeah. him to be the one who presides over the meeting yeah what we would <laughs> never do that so yeah. why why would they do that and not feel weird about it well because they didn't have they didn't have that um stigma, right it wasn't like, oh, to be a Christian, you have to believe this or that about hell just yeah. why why even the early creeds uh the early Christian creeds when it's when the Christians got together and put together these creeds, the point was to say, um you know what are the things that we as Christians can all agree on that if you agree on these things that th- these are things that Christians believe well yeah. they didn't include their beliefs about hell and why because they didn't agree on those things yeah. and they didn't see that you had to believe one or the other of or of those three views uh to be a christian or not so they were comfortable with there being three different perspectives uh on this topic again it only came much later that uh the catholic church gained some power and prominence and decided for everybody uh you either right. believe this or, or we're going to put you on the rack
0: well and at those at those councils i mean they they also didn't completely agree about the nature of christ but they thought that was pretty important so they <laughs> yeah so they decided on that
1: mm mm-hmm. right so yeah it was a long time before there was any discussion about um hell being you know it's heretical if you don't uh, hold one of these three views
0: yeah well and i i think um another another misconception about Christian universalism, and it, and it kind of goes along with what you were saying about passing through the, through the fire, is that just because we believe that, you know, eventually everybody's going to be united with Christ doesn't mean that we don't believe there's still a choice involved.
1: Right. Oh, that, yeah, of course. Yeah, it doesn't take away free will.
0: Right. And it's it's just saying that when Brad Jerzak talks about this, um, you know, we talk about free will so much, but when you see how people are suffering in this life, it's like, really, how free are they? Right, you know, like how how do they really understand what's going on?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. In other words, the the people that are suffering today—would we say it's because they have chosen that? They didn't didn't choose to suffer that way, yeah. And and this is my thing about um, when it comes to the free will question. um, I'll be honest; it's odd to me why that comes up all the time. I mean, I guess if I step back, I can see why some people feel uh, it's it's almost as if what they're saying, what people are saying, is that people. Uh, the human beings need to have the freedom to choose to suffer in hell for eternity. Like why would anyone choose that? So yeah. It's, it's yeah. like, and not, not, but again, no, but the view, the universal reconciliation view doesn't, uh, doesn't hinge on the concept that people will end up saved who don't want to be, or people will end up in God's presence who don't want to be. And that's not what it's saying. It was, it is, it is the belief that everyone will, Freely, gladly choose connection with God, but it's but of course they would. It's one of these things where um, I think David Bentley Hart, in his book, uh, and by the way, talking about someone who complicates things, <laughs> 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 but I love him. I love him so much. But anyway, his book uh, that all shall be saved, which is on this topic. I think this is one of my favorite things about uh, his book is that he, he deals with this and he says, you know, look, no no truly rational uh, free person. Um, would would find themselves in the presence of perfect love and absolute perfection. The, the, the thing that every human soul has desired and is searching for, right? And to, to be face-to-face with that and to clearly see it, who God is and what God is really like. Yeah. Um, no, no rational free person would choose to turn away from that. Why? Why would you? And let's say, not that you couldn't, so let's say you wanted to for whatever reason, you came face to face, uh, you, you know, the veils removed and you can now clearly truly see God who God really is.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, what, what, what would make you say now? No, no, I don't want to, I don't want to be one with that. I don't want to be connected with that. Okay, fine. You don't have to be, how long can you resist that? You, you know, a week, yeah. a thousand years, a hundred million years, take your time. Um, yeah. <laughs> cause at some point you're choosing you know you're you're choosing this restlessness that is never complete until you find your rest in in this perfect god who loves you this mm. father who loves you so perfectly and completely um if for whatever reason you decide you don't want it then that's fine but see this is the other this is the other purpose of that fire uh this fire of god that we experience when we come into his presence again god is a consuming fire so when we yeah. the, the fire we experience in the presence of god what it's doing is Um, transforming us, right? It's making all things new. It's uh, purging away those parts of us that would um, resist, you know, goodness and holiness and righteousness, all these things that that God embodies. Mm. Um, That's just part of what it will do. And that's a good thing. Like we, uh, that's not something I think any of us would be saying, Oh, no, 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 don't do that to me. (laughs) Like who doesn't want to be the uh, the perfect embodiment of the perfection of who they really truly are, their, their innermost core. Of course, that's who you wish you could be. Everybody, you know, you want to go back and be a child again. I wish I could just go back and be simple and innocent again. You know, um, that's exactly what God is going to do for us. And in that state, um, why would we resist absolute love and joy and peace? And like, it doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah. Well, my, my biggest concern was the idea that um, you know, we talk about how well God is. You know, He loves you, and He's all loving, and He's merciful. His mercy never ends. But then, apparently, all that changes after you die. <laughs> and, <laughs> yep. And and He just—it's like God. God flips a switch, and He's completely different after death. And and you no longer have a choice. And that just—if you want to say that certain people are are going to continually choose to be in their own created hell, like. That doesn't make sense to me but okay but but we but the the important thing is what are we saying about the character of God yeah. like are are we saying that you know God is two-faced that he's I mean really a monster when when you get down to what he's apparently going to do to people forever right um, yeah how, how did you kind of wrestle with with that dilemma
1: yeah I mean you're exactly right I think whichever of those three views you embrace whether you embrace eternal torment or annihilation or universalism you are at the same time like it or not uh, embracing an idea of the character of god and you're Mm -hmm. saying you're saying either that you believe god is a torturer god is a destroyer or god is a loving father who heals his children yeah um ultimately that's what you're saying and so for me i mean it wasn't uh, that's you know it wasn't that simplistic for me i think my process uh, honestly was, I think in the beginning, I, um, and it's really only been maybe in the last five years or so, really, it's been relatively recently that, uh, that my views shifted on this. Um, I think it started with, I was listening to a radio program, and there's a Bible teacher I like a lot. He's a good guy. I've met him a couple times. Um, so he came to our house church a couple times. Uh, his name is Steve Gregg. I was listening to his radio program once, and um, he he was the first person, I think, that blew my mind with this idea, of like, hey, you know, historically, the church has always held three views of hell from the beginning. And he's the mm-hmm. one that told me that, yeah. uh, that, that first introduced the idea to me. And then I was like, what? So <laughs> yeah. then I started doing the research and I'm like, well, holy cow, he's not kidding. Mm-hmm. So that was sort of the kind of, that first pulled the thread for me that, yeah. oh, there are two other options I've never taken seriously or considered. Um, so I, I I started studying it a little more. I almost immediately rejected eternal torment. Because I think, honestly, if you start looking at the verses that support eternal torment, what you find is they are not talking about what happens to anybody after they died. That's not what those verses are about. Yeah. Um, and I, I go through that in great detail in the book. Um, so I think initially I, I just rejected eternal torment and I and I just said, well, annihilation makes sense to me. Because I think there's a lot of verses that uh, seem to support the idea of destruction and annihilation. And I'll be honest, if that's where somebody lands that's an that's progress that's an improvement right yeah, <laughs> if yeah if you it, that's at least you don't think God is gonna torture his children for eternity just because he can't or for some reason he wants to yeah um so so that's an improvement so i i I was an annihilationist for probably about a year or so, but then I just kept studying I kept reading it. Um, I think probably my first introduction to universalism was Brad Jerzak's book, um, "Her Gates Will Never Be Shut," mm-hmm. or "Her Gates Will Never Be Shut," and that book really, really made me decide that I really need to investigate this universalism thing. Yeah, because um, it was, it, it was like there was just so much stuff I had never seen before. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, so then so then for for like the next couple of years, I. Really started really going to church fathers, like early church fathers, uh, reading what some of those early Christians said and believed about, um, you know, universal reconciliation. Another guy who's excellent, by the way, a great resource in this area, and I quote him in the book a couple of times: uh, Richard Murray,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, he's phenomenal um, on, on this patristic universalism, what the early church fathers believed about health. And um, so with all of that, I think that's where I finally ended up. Uh, in this place of saying, you know what, I'm not embarrassed to tell people now that I believe uh, that I'm a universalist, that I believe in universalism. I think it is what the scriptures teach. Uh, I think it is absolutely what Paul teaches. It's funny though, I never saw it before. Like the verses are right in front of you. But I think there's this grid, there's like a grid on your, a filter on your brain that if you're told that it can't be that, when you read verses that suggest that it could be, your, your brain just says, oh, it can't mean that. And you move on
0: right yeah being human is weird sometimes (laughs) because i i think that that seems to be a very common thing like i was just thinking the other day of if i'm living in gratefulness versus not like i see the world completely differently and it just like it just depends what lens you have on
1: that's exactly right no no especially when it comes to gratitude i mean that's exactly right um there's all there's so many studies done on that by the way you know we i've been i've been talking about that in um this course I'm teaching called square one, which is helping people go from deconstruction to reconstruction.
2: Mm.
1: And um, we have a whole, we spent a whole week on that. Uh, We call it, it's it's kind of in the context of rewiring your brain. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, But there's been so many scientific studies about the fact that if your grid, the filter over your brain, the, the way you see the world is always looking for what's wrong with it. What's negative, what's bad.
0: Yeah,
1: um, that's what you'll see. Like you will see what you're looking for. But the, the, there's a physical, emotional and mental downside to that posture of always being critical. And it starts creating anxiety and fear and depression and it, at least a mental illness and heart disease. And like it's it's in other words, it's killing you. It's yeah. a bad, bad thing. So there are ways you can sort of reprogram your brain, rewire your brain. To start being more thankful and grateful and positive and looking for what's good in everything, even if it's a bad thing, you can see some good in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you do that, it literally and again, there's been studies, multiple studies done about this. It literally re uh, it changes the biochemistry of your brain mm-hmm. and it shifts your body. And then it then it again, you're less at risk for all these other health uh, and mental health issues. Yeah. Um, and and by the way, you feel better because you have a more positive outlook. So yeah, you um, the the filter you use to see the world really does matter. Uh, it really makes a difference.
0: Mm, yeah, um, you mentioned Brad's book. Her gates will never be shut. That that book was really pivotal for me too. And I I remember coming away from that book like, and he's he's very good about like he doesn't definitively say this is what no. it is. Right. Um, but I came away from that book being like, wow, I can't believe in internal conscious torment anymore and be biblical in the way that i understand being biblical like i just can't yeah. do it anymore
1: yeah oh absolutely i honestly i was reading it on i used to ride the train to work uh when we lived in southern california and i was reading that book on the train and when i got mm. to that last chapter i was literally like trying not to blubber i was crying
2: oh, because yeah. it was
1: so beautiful and i yeah. just i was like god you're. What if you're better than I think you are? Uh, maybe, mm. maybe you're not finished blowing our minds with just how good you are. Like, I really believe that. I believe that we're going to, you know, we're going to still come to places where we step back in just awe and wonder and say, "God, you're better than we thought. God, you're, you're even more good than we could have imagined." And mm. that. So that's, that's why I'm so thankful for that book, for Brad's book,
2: because yeah.
1: it really gave me permission to believe that. God really is you know God's love really is uh, higher and wider and longer and deeper than mm. I can imagine it does transcend knowledge um, yeah you know it gave me a lot of hope for that, yeah, and so then once you're once you your um your perspective shifts, you know then you start noticing verses you know in the new testament by the way i always say this like there would be no universalism if it wasn't for paul the apostle because he's he's the one that keeps using this, this language right yeah um, like first timothy four ten, you know uh we have we have set our hope on the living god who is the savior of all people especially those who believe hmm. um like wait what <laughs> um <laughs> um like well first corinthians 15 for for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. He does this all the time. He uses this. He he contrasts Adam and Christ,
2: mm-hmm. and he mm-hmm.
1: says, in the same way that all were, uh, you know, it, were, you know, condemned in Adam, all are uh, set free in Christ. Um, yeah. It's just great, Romans five he does the same thing, right, yeah, yeah, uh, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men, mm. uh it's just amazing you start seeing these kinds of verses again, which I saw for a long, long time, but uh I never again, you just your brain just says, well, it can't mean that, yeah, your theology has told you that it can't mean that, and then one of the other things too that was a frankly a real eye-opener for me and really set me free from this, probably maybe the final straw for me, uh, was realizing in Philippians 2 verses 10 and 11 that there's a word that's missing in our English translations. But if you go to the Greek… I was
0: going to ask you about that. I'm glad you're bringing it up.
1: Yeah. Well, someone brought it up just the other day. They were like, man, Keith, I was reading your book and you brought out this thing from Philippians 2 and it's like, I didn't believe you. I went and looked up my Greek New Testament and I'm like, oh my gosh, he's right. Mm Uh, so here it is it's it's the one we all know this verse that we all Christians have heard many times right that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue now in our English translations in our Bibles uh, it says and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father now I always took that to mean that some of us would bow the knee and joyfully, like I would I would joyfully gladly exclaim Jesus is Lord but some people sinners right yeah Um, they're going to do it with gritted teeth. They're going to do it you know, under under force, like, oh, I don't really love Jesus, but I'm just going to have to say these words.
2: Yeah. The
1: but that's not what that verse says. So there's actually a missing word that should be there in our English translations, and it's this. And every tongue gladly confess mm-hmm. that Jesus Christ is Lord." So it's a proclamation, that verse that we've all heard so many times. It's a proclamation, actually, that every knee will bow and every tongue will gladly confess. Yeah. That that means a change of heart. Mm-hmm. That's that's saying that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will gladly, joyfully, willingly con- pro- confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Mm. Um, and if you pair that uh, with Romans 10, verse 9, Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, um, you'll be saved.
2: Mm, yeah
1: so
0: okay wow yeah interesting yeah and it's um it's funny because i i think i recall when i was younger you know we would ask we'd bring up oh you know we'd read romans 5 or whatever and be like is this saying is this saying everybody's saved and and they'd be like well you can't base your theology on like one or two passages okay i get it and then later you're like one or two passages what are you talking about
1: (laughs) Yeah. How about like 10? Like there's a whole bunch if you start going through it. Uh, There's a lot of verses. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I want to go back to something you were saying a second ago too. Um, Like you were mentioning how, you know, we act as if that in this life, uh, God is love and mercy and kindness and goodness and all these beautiful things. But when you die, the rules change. And now, oh buddy, you better have your ducks in a row. You better have it lined up because if you don't, the hammer is coming down Mm -hmm. and and, and you're going to suffer this eternal Wrath of God, but I was realizing, you know, okay, uh, if that theology, if that assumption is true, then what do we do about verses even in the Old Testament that say that God's um, that, that that God's anger is for a moment, but that His love endures forever? Because mm-hmm. it seems like what you're saying, if you believe eternal torment, is that God's love is for a moment. Yeah. But his wrath endures forever. Yeah, that is what you're saying. You're contradicting actually the picture that we have of God, even from the Old Testament, which you know, like come on, <laughs> it doesn't make yeah. any sense. Yeah. So yeah, I, that's why one of the things I think it's good to go and rethink some of these things and, and go well. I, again, the bottom line for me is I believe that Jesus is revealing to us who the Father really is. You know, this is the power of Jesus. Um, Emphasizing to us that when we pray we should call God Daddy, Papa, mm-hmm. you know abba that uh, framing God as a loving, kind, compassionate father uh I, I think Jesus showing us you know telling us this beautiful uh parable of the prodigal son. here's a father who doesn't get angry, doesn't lash out uh when his son says, "I wish you were dead, go in and give me my inheritance, I'm going to just take it now and blow it on this Horrible, sinful living, and then when I when I realize what I've done, I'm going to come back, and I'm not going to get beat up for it. I'm not going to get. it. I told you so. I'm not going to get well. That's what you get. No, I'm going to. You're going to. I'm going to see a father who is waiting for just a glimpse of me coming over the horizon, and he's going to run to me. He's going to embrace me. He's going to take his the robe off of his own shoulders and put it over mine. He's going to take the ring off of his finger and slip it on my finger. He's going to say, "This is my son." Yeah, right. Whom I love, whom who I'm well pleased in, and let's have a party. And he won't even let the son finish his sentence. I don't deserve to be your son. No, nope, we're having a party. Let's just go on. Let's just. I mean, that is such a beautiful and a a completely different picture of the father that we have anywhere else in scripture. And I just think that Jesus is uh, revealing to us which is what he said he was doing. Right. No yeah. one has seen God except uh, the Son, and. Uh, you know, no one knows the father except the son and, and the one to whom the son chooses to reveal it. Yeah. Uh, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So look at me. Look at Jesus. If you want to see what the Father's like, we look at Jesus. And what we see is a God radically different uh, from a wrathful, vengeful, angry, vindictive God. Mm. You know, which is, yeah, I think this is, that's progress.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I,
1: I, that's why I always say I want a more, I want more Christ-like uh, God, not a more biblical one. I want a more Christ like world more, yeah. more, or Christ like view, not a biblical one. Because uh, a biblical one, um, you know, you can justify all kinds of things with the Bible, right? Mm. Yep. Torture and uh patriarchy and slavery and genocide and, and people have. Yeah. And, and exactly that. And uh, so I, I I don't think it's I I shouldn't I don't think we should be as concerned about what's biblical as we should be concerned about what is Christ like. Mm.
0: Um Two really important elements of looking at hell and and the afterlife are what what are jud what's judgment and what's justice and mm-hmm. and the environment that I grew up in um, both of those were viewed very retributively and so judgment was well you didn't believe in me or judgment was you believed in me or you didn't and justice was well if you didn't I I gotta punish you
2: mm-hmm. and
0: and I've definitely come to understand those concepts in a more restorative or, or holistic sense and you've you've talked some about judgment um just about how like like we all pass through the fire and it's not it's not to punish it's not retributive it's to heal us and restore us um how how would you talk about justice
1: well yeah i think that is probably uh, one of the other uh concerns people have uh or wrestle, things they wrestle with when they start to say well okay i'm considering this universalist idea but it kind of seems that, you know, where's the justice, right? There's something in us that cries out and says, well, look, if someone does a horrific thing,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, we need justice. There has to be justice for this. In other words, the person needs to pay for this. They need to suffer. a little. Bit. That's what we need. Yeah. Um, and frankly, I forgot where I heard this from. I just saw this quote recently. Uh, it was something a quote about how we have to come to terms with the fact that for us as human beings, when we say justice what we really mean is revenge
0: yeah yeah and i
1: think i forgot it it's it was someone much smarter than me but i can't remember who it was um but i thought you know what i think that's the truth so so yeah again i don't think it's wrong i think it's certainly something within us that when something bad happens we do cry out for justice but justice as we have as we understand it i think is still it's unredeemed it's an unredeemed kind of justice that essentially boils down to revenge yeah um an eye for an eye you did this to me we're going to do that to you and we call that justice well that's really revenge yeah. um that justice in the way that we see god um reflecting justice in the scriptures and uh, i think hebrews talks about this beautifully um, this idea that you know uh the purpose of of god's discipline right uh, was it hebrews 12 um you know it says you know, how our, our earthly fathers, right. Discipline us. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that that when we go through that, it doesn't feel good. Right. It's painful at the time. Right. But then it says, you know, our heavenly father, who's a much better father than our earthly fathers. um, He disciplines us for our profit that Mm. we may be partakers of his holiness. Mm. Um, And so then it says, you know, no, no discipline again seems to be joyful at the present. It's painful. Nevertheless, after it's over, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. so we have and that's not the only verse. there's several verses that emphasize this idea that from God's perspective, his justice is restorative. in other words, he wants to take the murderer uh the rapist, the the, the people who have done the worst things we can think of, right yeah. uh, and, and not get revenge on them for it, not beat it out of them. He wants to bring them back to restore them to a place when, because again, um, you know, any human being that uh, does some horrible thing like that, right? Commits some horrible crime like that. They didn't start out that way. Right. Yeah, Yeah. There was a point if you could go back in their life when they were two years old, five, four years old, five years old, right? When they, if you would have, if you could have seen that person, you would have said, what a sweet, loving, kind child, right? Mm. And, and that's how their parent would feel, right? They're a parent of, of, a, of, a, of a child who has grown up to do a horrible thing. That's what they see. They say, but you know what? My child wasn't always like that. My child was at a point when they were, they were innocent, when they were, they were, they were, uh, you know, the, before they had been corrupted by the world and the environment and all these other things that twisted them into someone who did this horrible thing. Yeah, and what and what Jesus wants to do, what the Father wants to do, is re- is to restore His children back to a place where they are innocent again, where they are uh, sort of untwisted, uh, and, and that all things are made new. Mm-hmm. And so, in that sense, there's two things that have to be restored, not just. So, what has to be restored is the person who did the the, the horrible thing, but frankly, one of the things that has to be restored is what's in. The reaction we have, the mm. desire in me for that revenge,
2: yeah,
1: right the the part of me that would say, "God, that's not fair. All you did was restore them and make them whole again, but there's something in me that still wants to see him squirm, right? Mm. I still want to see him suffer, but that's that's part of what's wrong with me <laughs> that yeah, needs to change yeah. that that's something Jesus needs to to burn and reform and transform in me that I would be someone who would love mercy, right? The Micah six eight, right? When it says, "He has shown you, O man, what is required of you, of you right?" To yeah. uh, to walk humbly with your God, right? To to do justice and love mercy, hmm. and it's that loving mercy piece. I think that is the hardest thing for most of us because loving mercy means, like, we all love mercy when it's shown to us.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: I, I screw up. I do something horrible. I make a huge mistake but then someone shows me mercy. Oh, praise God. Oh God. You're so good. Thank you. Who Mercy is the best. <laughs> but when somebody I don't know does something horrible and then I see them receiving mercy again, that thing inside of me wells up that says, no, 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 that's not right. I don't like that. Well, why? Cause it's not me <laughs> or it's not my yeah. kid. It's not my child receiving yeah. mercy. Um, but that's what needs to be, that's part of what needs to be reformed and ch- transformed in each of us. We mm. need to become people who love mercy as much when it's shown to us uh, or other people, like equally. Yeah, yeah. Right.
0: Hmm. I don't I don't know if this is, this probably isn't where you saw that quote, but I think um, there's also a quote about um, the revenge and justice in uh, Batman Begins. Because <laughs> um,
1: uh, um, I love Batman, by the way.
0: Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, my wife is just a fanatic. Um, it's when Christian Bale um wants to shoot the guy that killed his parents and and he's he's like, But but what about justice? And Rachel's like, well, That's not justice, that's revenge.
1: Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And that is right. I mean I think uh so again is we have to sort of take a step back from that. Again, so it's not like God doesn't care about justice. Yeah. God absolutely cares about justice um but god is god is a father who is a loving father who wants to restore and redeem all of his children and that's what he's that's what he's committed to doing right you know yeah. behold i have made all things new everything that's old is gone the new has come and um if we believe in that if we want that for ourselves we have to be willing to uh celebrate it for everyone
2: Uh yeah
1: because we like if it's not for them, it's not for me either. Like, but if it's for me, it's for them too. And isn't this always the problem? This is, seems to be always our struggle, right? We see this uh, with the Jewish people, right? Even with Jesus, when he stands mm. up in the synagogue, he reads the scroll, he announces the year of Jubilee uh, has come. It's It's been fulfilled in your presence and everybody's so excited. And then the next thing he says is, well, let me just remind you that, uh, you know, all, there were many lepers, uh, you know, in Israel, but, you know, God sent, uh, you know, God sent Elijah to this, to uh, Naaman right who's a Syrian mm-hmm. and healed him of leprosy and there were many poor widows in Israel but you know God sent Elisha to this uh, you know uh, this uh, non-Jewish woman uh, this pagan Gentile yeah. woman and they got then that's when they want to kill him mm-hmm. because what he's suggesting is that this this great sweeping mercy jubilee uh, of God is not just for them it's for those people over there that we don't like. You know, and I think this is why Jesus includes that in the parable of the prodigal son, right? Yeah. So this beautiful picture of again, beautiful picture of mercy. Um, but who who's upset? Well, the the son, the older son, right? Who's like, yeah. I, I yeah. didn't, I'm good, I'm righteous, I didn't do this something as bad as that guy did. How dare you? Sh- uh, you know, celebrate him. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's constantly something I think we struggle with is like, we have to be okay with everyone receiving this great transformative uh, love of Christ. Uh, It's not just for us, you know, it's gotta be, we've gotta be okay with it being for everybody.
0: Yeah. This is, um, people call me the movie quote guy because I go on tangents on on movie quotes, but it it made me think of um, um, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. (laughs) Yeah. Only because like one of my proudest moments as a dad is when my son was like, hey, can we watch Monty Python? Ah uh, yes, we can. So <laughs> and we, were, we were watching it the other day, and it, it was the part where they're they're getting ready to throw the holy hand grenade. Yes, and and the prayer is just is just <laughs> incredible. It's like bless, bless this thy hand grenade that with it thou mayest, mayest blow thy enemies into pieces in thy mercy
1: in thy mercy. <laughs> Yes, I love that. That whole thing is great. I love Monty Python, man. I am a huge Monty Python fan. And you know what's funny about that movie, about the Holy Grail? That's To me, that's the best one. I I mean, there's things I like about the other movies, but the Holy Grail is perfect. And I I used to, when I first started watching it, I used to kind of like squirm when God appears, you know, and and they're uh, averting their gaze, and he's like, what are you doing? Oh, we're averting our gaze here, Lord. Our Lord and oh stop it! Every time I try to talk to someone, it's always forgive me that and I'm sorry for this. And 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 I used to I used to watch that and be like oh that's sacrilegious. But now I watch it and I go yes that's exactly what God would say. (laughs) Stop doing this. What are you doing? I I love you. I I I don't have to be afraid of me. You don't have to cower. You know you don't have to beat yourself up. I'm such a worm and I'm you know no 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 no, don't stop doing that. I don't know actually I love that movie. There's so many great lines in that movie.
0: Yeah it's great. One other thing I, I wanted to mention is um, something that really helped me working through thinking about hell um, was the the um idea of the incarnation and um i it seems to me that in um especially American like evangelical theology i and I would say maybe a lot of western um, Christianity incarnation is just a really weak point for them mm-hmm. um Cause when I, when I look at Eastern Orthodoxy and, and, um, their, their understanding of the incarnation is just so much more robust Yeah. and it's, you know, <clears throat> it's not that God became a human being to represent us. It's that God like wrapped humanity into himself. Yeah. And, and so like, because before it's like, well, you know, you have to like say the prayer to ask Jesus into your heart. And if you don't do that, then you're going to die and maybe God won't give you a second chance. And it's like, well, no, like all that stuff's already accomplished because Jesus yes. did it as us.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: and then it becomes a matter of participation, not not whether or not it's true. And that yeah. that really was an important thing for me. I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but that really helped me a lot.
1: No, I do love that actually. You're right. Um that is that that's something that I think is worth uh studying and looking into a lot more for for especially Western evangelical Christians who have never uh seen or heard in that concept uh, and i think you're right i think i probably we keep talking about brad jerzak um, but i think brad was the one that first introduced me to that concept yeah it's this idea it's almost like if, if all humanity was a glass of water um the incarnation christ coming into the world and taking on flesh is like it's like dropping a drop of god into that glass of water mm-hmm. in other words it's it's it doesn't stay a single drop sort of suspended in that glass of water, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it, it permeates and becomes one with that, that. that The whole glass of water is now transformed into, it's not just pure water now, it's water mixed with God. And all mm-hmm. humanity has now been touched by God and wrapped in, as you said, you know, um, the idea that immortality wraps itself in mortality. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so it's this idea, it's beautiful. It's, it's really actually really cool um, it's, it's like saying, and I think, I think I've heard it expressed similar to this. It's, it's like, um, by God taking on flesh and coming into humanity, it's very similar to Jesus example of like the yeast, the little bit of yeast that sort of permeates the entire lump of dough. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like that. It's, it's like, yeah. So immortality comes into mortality, into humanity. God, you know, Philippians two, right. Um, christ takes on flesh yeah And but when he does that and then he dies and then he's resurrected it's sort of like it's completing this process of infecting our diseased world mm. with this um antibody if you will that is going to inevitably lead to uh completely healing the entire thing completely reforming and restoring the entire humanity mm. uh, that's the point it's sort of like when when uh when god was killed right when we murdered god his reaction was in resurrection he he released resurrection into our reality if you will Mm, it's almost like the matrix right he's he's released the power of resurrection into all of reality now he's brought it from heaven it's come to earth it's now been released inside of humanity through him and it's inevitably going to this this power of resurrection is inevitably going to permeate all of reality, and mm. the kingdom of God is fully and completely going to come and restore and renew everything on the planet. But that this is a process set in motion two thousand years ago mm. that is still ongoing and will inevitably lead to um, this uh, eventually this complete restoration of all things. It's really yeah. phenomenal. It's a mind blowing concept. I mean, um, and it's really sad that as as western christians we we don't have that. you're right. we've got this idea that well, Jesus was this unique incarnation, came, showed up, did his thing, went away, and gosh, we wish he'd hurry up and come back because then when he did, you know, if he hurries up and gets back, then something something cool might happen yeah <laughs> um but but instead, see, i I think that's completely wrong i don't I think actually what the New Testament teaches is that because this has happened, um we are now because of the resurrection. We are now in Christ. We are the hands and feet of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are mm. filled with fullness, it says. Uh, we are filled with the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. So we are now the incarnation of Christ in the world right now. So Christ has not left the world. Christ yeah. is still in the world today through us, through the body of Christ. And this is why Jesus says, It's better for you if I go away, mm. right? Whereas now, for some reason, because we misunderstand this concept, we're sitting around 2,000 years later saying, It'll be so much better when Jesus gets back.
2: <laughs> yeah. And
1: Jesus says, "No, it's better if I go away, but only if you get this. Only if you understand what the plan is. The plan is that each of us is meant to be an incarnation of Christ in the world and mm-hmm. continue to perpetuate this, you know, this resurrection, this incarnation, this presence of Christ in the world uh sort of one person at a time." Uh, I I think yeah, that that's that's something that's going to be one of my next books. Uh, I want to talk about because I think that's one of our one of the screwy things about the way we see the end times, um, I think it's it's tied very much to this concept. Uh, mm. We are still waiting for Jesus personally to come back and make all things new. But what the scriptures say is that all creation is groaning for the sons of God to be revealed, not for Jesus to come back, for us to wake up and figure out who we are and what we're doing here, what we're supposed to be all about. So,
0: Yeah. There's a so so now this is going to be our last thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, okay. um. There's this quote from Baxter Kruger. He says, um, "When when Jesus became human, God decided to never be God again without us." Mm-hmm. And there's um because I I think part of the problem with eternal conscious torment is it elicits so much fear in us. Mm-hmm. Um. And yeah. I was reading Anthony DeMello the other day, and he just talks about how like there's no there's no evil you can't really tie to fear like when when people are acting you know ugly or whatever i mean it's there's some kind of fear in them and if we can just at least you know if we we can at least start in the body of christ and take that fear away you know like john says perfect love drives out fear like we don't we don't have to live in that state of fight or flight with god you know he's not that he's not that kind of a father that's right yeah, absolutely,
1: yeah, well, this is what people are waking up to, which is the reality that um religion the power of religion is in fear and it's all about control and and so uh, I would hope that people more and more are starting to wake up to this fact and to to recognize any time fear is being used to coerce you or manipulate you to do something or believe something mm-hmm. um, that's not god that's yeah. not that's not the spirit of christ and now, if you if your goal is to build a religion, it's it's very helpful to, to use fear. Yeah. But if your goal is to connect people with the ministry of reconciliation, right? This idea that God was in Christ, not counting our sins against us, but reconciling yeah. the world to himself. Um, and that what he's done now is given us the same ministry of reconciliation, which says, mm. hey, by the way, he's not counting his sin, your sins against you. What he's all about is reconciling. You know, he loves you. Yeah. Uh, he's made a way for now, you to be in absolute connection and union with him. That should be our message. But there's no fear in that. Unfortunately, it yeah. uh, makes it difficult to get people to come back every Sunday and uh, <laughs> yeah. you know put their butts in the seats and, and the money in the plate when it comes around. And I'm sad to say it that way, but I we have a religion, which unfortunately needs fear uh, and control to to stay and you know, maintain itself. Mm. Uh, but again, I don't think Jesus came to start a, a religion. I think he came to to make a way for us to see who God is, to be in connection with him and, and to realize that and live in the freedom of that and the joy of that. So uh, yeah. I just, I encourage people to move away from fear and more towards love.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Well, thank you, Keith, so much for your time. And, and it's just, it's just really been a pleasure chatting with you.
1: No, same here, Ben. Thank you so much. Thanks for the invitation, and uh, it's been a wonderful conversation.
0: Yeah, and I just want to mention so I, I mentioned before some of your works. Um, is there anything else you want to mention, what you're working on, how people can interact with you?
1: Yeah, so um, oh, I blog at Patheos. You can just go to KeithJaws.com. That's my blog. Um, I'm on Facebook and Twitter. You mentioned I do the podcast, The Heritage Happy um, which is a lot of fun. Um, I am working on a, a new book right now called Square One, which is a book that's based on this ninety day course that I created called Square One, which okay. is about helping people go from deconstruction to reconstruction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just see so much focus right now on deconstruction, almost no one talking about this reconstruction of faith. and you know once mm-hmm. you torn it down now what um, how, what do you, what's left to build on? Where do you go from here? So yeah, so that course, I'm offering that every ninety days. Um, I'm running those that course. and if anyone's interested in that, you know I'd be happy to talk to them about that too.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks again, Keith, Um, and take care.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot. God bless, man.
0: Well, I, as I said, I really enjoyed that conversation with Keith. Just so many great things that he offered in that conversation to help us think through this topic. And as he said several times, you know, it's not... It's not important that you come out agreeing with him or with me or anybody else, but just research this topic. And I know there's so many people that have struggled with their faith because of this topic, because of this idea that they've been taught that God's going to punish people and torment people for all eternity because they didn't believe the right things or do the right things. And because of that, it's hard to imagine how God is truly love and how his mercy never ends. And it's also hard for them to imagine how God meets them in their own brokenness and in their own pain and their own sin, when that's how he apparently treats people who don't measure up to him. And if that's you, if that's something that's bothered you, if you've looked at that um, doctrine or heard that teaching and thought, how can I approach God? Like God sounds like a monster. If you've thought about that and been concerned about that, look into this because there are so many other, I believe, in my opinion, more healthy ways to understand this topic that are completely faithful to scripture and to the Christian tradition. So check out Keith's book, Jesus Undefeated, Condemning the False Doctrine of Eternal Torment. Um, you can check out my book, There's a God in My Closet. As I mentioned, I devote an entire section to this topic because it was that important in my journey. And my book is now on sale on my website, bdelong.com, if you want to check it out there. Um, we mention, um, in this interview, Brad Jerzak's book, Her Gates Will Never Be Shut. Um, I think he mentions a few other sources, but there's so many good sources, but don't, don't feel stuck in this if it just doesn't, that doesn't, draw you closer to God and doesn't make you trust him or doesn't make you more like Jesus. If if this is a problem for your faith where you can't trust God, look into this and explore this and see maybe where God wants to lead you. Um, Again, thank you so much, Keith, for taking this time. Love chatting with you. Thank you all for listening. And as always, nothing, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. You are in him and he is in you. Take care.